Today is Tuesday, September 26th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. All right, we've got a bunch of stuff. <laughs> um, so Canada honors an actual Nazi, a real-life Nazi. Canada honors them with not one, but two standing ovations. Yay, Nazi. Um, so we talk a little bit about why that insanity is. Is it ignorance? Is ignorance excusable? Um, anyway, so yeah, why does Canada honor a 98-year-old actual Nazi? Um, so we get into that. Not to turn everything political, but it's hard to ignore. Then we talk about some fun fact. Uh, the sheep in Greece, uh, a sheep field, uh, somehow got into a medical marijuana grow house, and the sheep consumed 600 pounds of pot. So, you know, who's to say they haven't hit nirvana and are enlightened and they should be the ones leading our world and teaching us? All right. Then we get back to, uh, you know, some serious topics, the difference between the old and new covenant. Um, and then we, we talk, I, I don't even know because my brain's dribbling out of my ears right now, uh, because for like the last 40 minutes, we've talked about presuppositional apologetics. And, oh, uh, if, if, if you like it, this is your thing to listen to. If you're like me and don't, um, this will put you to sleep or make you want to club baby seals. Don't club baby seals. Um, anyway, so uh, we, we talk about that, and oh goodness, I, I just can't. I can't, I can't, I can't. Um, it is not my thing. I get we're all parts of the body of Christ, so for the presuppositional apologists out there, um, good job. You are an arm or a leg or a foot or a hand that I can, can never be. Um, anyways, so um, check that out. There is a discussion to be had there. Um, if you wouldn't mind, go to the Ask a Christian store, grab a t-shirt or coffee cup or mouse pad or something, or a dog sweater. We have dog sweaters. Um, get your little puppy saved and support the Ask a Christian podcast, having civil discussions with people on the internet and sharing Jesus. Not necessarily sharing and destroying their presuppositional worldview, but just sharing Jesus uh, with them on the internet. And then some of that other stuff too, um, because people need Jesus. So um, they don't need a philosophical, well-rounded approach. I mean, it's helpful, sure, but they need Jesus first. Start with Jesus, then the other stuff is cherries on top. Uh, you can also check out the Ask a Christian book on Amazon and support this podcast. Share these links, and we will see you all next time. thing I have today is I don't know how Canada is making more news than the rest of the world, but, man, they just cannot get out of it. Like, hopefully Michael will pop by at some point. But, um... <clears throat> I don't know. Like, when Canada honors actual, literal Nazis, I, I have so many thoughts, right? Like, I don't mean for for this podcast to be completely political, but goodness, it's like you cannot shake a stick without hitting something that's relevant. Like, you just can't get away from it. So, I mean, it, it, it is kind of converging, right? So, it's like Isaiah 520, is it? That, you know, woe to those who call good bad and bad good, or, you know, good evil and evil good. And we, we just cannot seem to get away from that. It's like everywhere you look, it's like, hold my beer. Let me outdo you. So I don't know if anyone saw, but like, yeah, there's like a video clip of like the, the speaker in the, the Canadian parliament over the weekend or like Friday. And he's reading a script. They're honoring this like, you know, Ukrainian freedom fighter. And, you know, he like fought the bad guys in World War II. And we're going to give him a great honor. The guy got two standing ovations. Anyway, so like I watched the speech. I like rewound it a few times because the first time I'm just like, what? What are they doing? <clears throat> so there's a certain amount. Of, of ignorance that can be tolerated because, you know, if it's just a parliamentary process and they're like, okay, some other guy's getting honored, fine, whatever. So, I mean, uh, probably a lot of it flew under the radar, 
because you know probably people didn't research this guy they don't know anything about him um so a understandable amount of ignorance i guess sure which isn't good being ignorant is not good you should know what you're doing but i get it it's kind of excusable because people zone out and you're like Great, another guy's getting a medal. Anyways, so when it was pointed out to these people over the weekend that they were honoring a literal Nazi, um, why, a, a few things I have to think of, and you guys can take it from there. So on one hand, um, and, and the parliament guy, the poor parliament guy, like reading it, it's, it's so funny, like, because you don't catch it the first time, but then after it's pointed out, you go back and watch the speech again, and it's like headlights start to go off in his eyes. So he's like, and we're going to honor this guy. And, you know, he was a Ukrainian freedom fighter in World War II. And, and, and he fought the bad guys. He fought against the Russians. And, and he just, like, looks up, like, is this right? Am I reading this right? Like, if he fought the Russians, well, he's a Nazi. <laughs> the Russians fought the Nazis. Um, anyways, you know, after Stalin and, and Hitler betrayed Stalin and all that stuff. So, like, you know, the, the Russians, like, died more than anyone else, like, fighting the Nazis. So, so it was hilarious and sad. Um, that this guy's like, and we're going to honor him. He fought off the, you know, he fought against the Russians. Like, oh, crap. If he fought the Russians, then that means, yep, he's a 98-year-old actual literal Nazi. So from that, I think, um, someone knew this. And, you know, it all goes back to, like, Tredu or Tredu, whatever. Michael would correct his name. Is it Tredu? Tredu. Whatever. <clears throat> so it's like, is he also ignorant or does he know what he's doing? And on one hand, whenever people, like, started, you know, whenever the woke stuff came up, like, really in prominence a few years ago, and they were just calling everyone like a racist, phobe, ism, is like Nazi, literal Nazi, right? Like everyone who's who supports one political side is a literal Hitler Nazi because, um, you know, that stuff doesn't matter. But I'm like, it's going to be really bad after they use up all their like all their racist capital, like calling everyone who disagrees with them a racist when it's not the case. I'm like, how unfortunate is that going to be when they actually call someone a racist who is a racist or actually call someone a Nazi who is a Nazi? And everyone's so desensitized, knowing that it's all lies, that no one's going to do anything about the actual Nazi or the actual racist. But then I think, well, maybe this was their plan all along. So it's not going to like bite them because that's what they want. So now they've desensitized people so much that when they do find an actual racist or an actual Nazi on their side that they want to prop up and honor, no one bats an eye because they're like, oh, you know, they said everyone's a Nazi. It's probably fine. When he's an actual Nazi. So maybe it's like a double, double espionage subversion. Um, anyway, so it was just, it was insane. So I, I think, to, to Abba's point, this is going to be one-sided today because I just don't have the heart to deal with this again. But, you know, when people want to say things like, you know, Christianity is anti-Semitic because of hundreds of years ago. And, you know, even today, like, you know, whatever, it has an anti-Semitic semantic bent because uh, of certain certain simple. ideas, certain ideas of it. Um I thought, you know, we're just going to take a break from that. Like, until people want to confront actual, literal Nazis who are being worshipped and honored, um, I think I'm good with not talking about how evil and anti-Semitic Christianity is. And then the last thing I have to say about that fun topic, um, I may have just forgot it because Chris was grumbling in the background. Anyways, I don't know, Chris. Did you see any of that speech? Did you see that? Like, are we in clown world or what? We're in clown world, and he's not just any Nazi. He was a member of the SS and helped arrest Jews in Ukraine to send them to concentration camps. This is like the Waffen, the Waffen, whatever. He's not just like, oh, 
he was an 18 year old like soldier in the German army and he was Ukrainian or what no the dude was an actual SS member who rounded up Jews yeah not just like a good Nazi like George Soros who's like I was 18 and it was the best time of my life helping Hitler not a good Nazi like that right like a bad Nazi who actually killed people People know I'm joking, right? Like, Soros yeah. is awful and evil, too. Yeah, but, like, yeah, no, the dude, like, you can go look up further stuff on this guy, and I believe Israel wants him extradited. So, you know, as they do, you know, prosecuting actual war criminals, which is a good idea. So, that's so wild. I don't know, man. And then, and to, to just drive this thing globally home it's like you've got you know ukraine who recently had the the transgender person right so so the the united states army person who's transgender who apparently somehow has been co-opted and now assigned a role as a spokesperson for ukraine um so this trans person is talking about in the name of god evil will fall good we prevail so just a few of these things right I don't know. Does Isaiah 520 ring a bell anywhere in the following? Trans person, um, you know, says in the name of God, Ukraine is going to forcefully hunt down people spreading, spreading disinformation around the globe and leaving a very unveiled open threat that if you're not on our side, if you say anything bad about us or good for the other side or neutral or fair, you're going to be hunted down forcefully and dealt with. Um, is that good? So there's two points. The next thing is they want the Marina Abramovich satanic provocative art person to be ambassador to children and education in schools. There's another point, you know, how good and holy does that sound? And then you have the people who, who have currently the largest standing army actually with the same like patches and battalions that they had in World War II as Nazis. The largest standing army in the world who are associated with literal Nazis. If you want a literal Nazi, there you go. And then they're honoring this dude um, who did the same thing in World War II, was like a Nazi hero for Ukraine. Um, all of these f things are converging, yet, per the trans spoke per spokesperson, under the name of God, this collection of group is going to rid the world of, I guess, actual evil compared to people that are just like, I don't support any of that. I want to follow Jesus, and none of you guys seem to be aligned with Jesus, except you're saying something about a vague reference to God, and then you're putting, like, you know, a Satanist, a Nazi, and all these other people who presumably are not super cool with Jesus in one camp. I don't know. That sounds like it's a bizarre a world. That sounds like a starting joke. A yeah, I feel like, Nazi, I feel like a Satanist, a Nazi, and Marquis walk into a bar. <laughs> And then the world ends. Okay. That's wild. That's wild. I, I, I said something in the chat. I want to throw it in here because I think it's a good idea. I often have found, and this is my speculation, haven't done any research on it, but I still think it's legit. I've found that when you see extreme, quote unquote, anti-racism, it ends up being racism in disguise. That's, that's, my, that's my view on it. Like, I think you're the right. Big statement. I don't see color. I'm like, so instead of accepting all colors as equal, all races, all ethnicities as equal, you have, in effect, literally whitewashed. If you don't see color, you whitewashed or blackwashed, one way or the other, everybody, as 
and completely eliminated their uniquenesses that are a result of their genetic dispositions in the melanin in their skin. You've made everybody the same so that no one is special. Okay, that's not a fix of the problem. That's literally ignoring your issue. But like that was like a big thing. I've saw that like seven times. It's like resurging. Oh, I don't see color. I don't see color. I just see kids. I just see men and women. I'm like, but that's just false. In well, it's like well, Stephen Colbert. Think, like that's the first yeah. one I ever heard. He's like, I don't see color. Like he was sort of joking, but I mean, you know, he's such a tool. Oh, anyways, that's the first place I've ever seen that. I guarantee if someone wears blackface for Halloween, um, they're going to see color real quick. Unless it's one of them, then it's fine because it's, I guess, liberal and loving. Well, like Justin Trudeau. Um, yeah, then it's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but Marquis, I think to your point also, so like Ibram X Kennedy would be in the same boat right so this anti-racism nonsense it becomes racism and that's the ironic bit right so you get like peggy mcintosh and ibram x kennedy and you know all the rest of our uh crt friends and that just becomes racism you know in a different way it's just everybody just needs to behave and then it's like the reverse racism like there is no reverse racism it's just racism Racism is racism. No, no reverse. No, no special <laughs> characters. It's racism. It's the reverse Uno card, but with a racist deck. <laughs> what would the reverse Uno card be like? What would be the symbols on that? I don't even know. It's gonna be all well, they white, have them, and it's gonna be the little white. Um, it's like the little white uh, repeat sign, like from old CD players. It's basically what it's gonna be. Okay, Marquise, you ask about the PTR. <laughs> On a happier note, <clears throat> the PTR is dedicated to a very, very high sheep. So <laughs> there was apparently in Greece, um, there was a medical marijuana field that somehow a bunch of sheep like got into it, like a whole sheep pasture emptied into it, and they consumed 600 pounds of medical marijuana. So uh, <laughs> that's going on in Greece. So while uh, Canada is honoring Nazis, um, Grecian sheep are getting really high. That's wild. So they just grazed. Six, you said 600 pounds? Yes, 600 pounds. Let me post the article for you. If you care. I mean. <laughs> Does that mean they go to jail for um, uh, intent to distribute? I don't know. It depends if they had their card. <laughs> Let's see. Flock of sheep in Greece wander into miracle marijuana greenhouse, devour six hundred pounds. Did you did you see did you see the um, the follow up article, Nate? No. What's the follow up article? So the follow up article was after they ate the six hundred pounds of weed, they ate eight hundred pounds of pizza rolls. <laughs> you got jokes. You're funny. <laughs> Come on, that was a good one. Wait, could you get by if you dressed not in blackface, but if you dressed as Trudeau when he wore blackface? So then you're you're not wearing blackface. You're just wearing Trudeau, who also happened to wear blackface. So would that be okay? I'm gonna I'm gonna say a hard no. I'm gonna take a hard pass on that one. 
All right, that's all I got. Look at that. Look at that. If I would if I would have had more stuff to talk about, that's when everyone would be in here. There'd be like 30 people like yesterday who all want to talk at the same time. Now I'm like, oh, I only got two quick things and crickets. (laughs) Weed sheep. I mean, come on, weed sheep. My son thought that article was so funny. He had me send it to him so he could send it to all of his friends. What's up, y'all? Good morning. What's going on? How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Thank you. God bless you. So do you think the sheep actually ate 600 pounds or 800 pounds of pizza rolls after the weed? Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds about right. They, they door dashed it. The sheep, the sheep were actually in such a state of mind as they could actually pull out a smartphone, door dash pizza rolls, and made it happen. It's amazing. Oh my gosh, it like it like super intellectualized them. It like brought them up on the on the scale. So now they have IQs like similar to it's like whenever you're a you've seen those memes, right? Where it's like this happens and it's like the guy like perks up a little, this happens and his eyes like get a little brighter, the next thing happens and he's like he gets this aura around him and the next thing happens and it's like the universe exploding. Because it's like next level. That's what happened to the sheep. It's like 100 pounds of pot. 200 pounds of pot. 600 pounds. Like the universe explodes. Their minds expand. And now they could be teaching us like history and philosophy. It's like rise of the, the planet of the sheep. So Yeah, right? Nate, what you need to do is take that PTR and Photoshop it and put a third eye on that sheep. Oh! oh. <laughs> you, see what I, you see where I'm getting at, right? We got Absolutely. The sheep at this point oh i don't know my photoshop editing ability is on my phone but that is amazing someone somewhere uh, when you get a chance can you compare and contrast the differences and similarities of the old and new covenant oh we got a serious question we got to stop playing stop playing chris oh ceo's here ceo did you see the story about the the sheep that wandered into a medical marijuana uh, grow house in Greece and ate 600 pounds of weed. You're joking. I wish I were. The link's in the chat. You what happened, what happened to person. the sheep? Did it die? No, they they ordered 800 pounds of pizza rolls. They all got their doctorate and they're teaching. A DoorDash. <laughs> right now they're teaching in all the oneness rooms. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> While I try to Photoshop a third eye on the sheep, uh, can Chris and Marquise explain the differences in the Old and New Covenant? For Roberto, please. Yeah, sure. Um, old Covenants uh, was made under the law. Um, and that Old Covenant was God's going to take care of Israel. Israel needs to obey the law. Israel could never obey the law because they were stuck in the rut of sin and so god kept selling them into captivity i don't know why i just thought that was funny for some reason um but he kept selling them into captivity to punish them because they kept breaking that covenant the covenant was that he's going to be their god and they're going to be his people and they're going to keep all the commands that he gave to moses um not just the decalogue but these other 613 statutes that follow um the decalogue etc etc Um, The New Covenant is not one of ritualistic, obligatory uh, uh, obedience and observation um, where you are using your own human agency to keep these 613 statutes. 
The new covenant is wrought by the blood of Jesus Christ, who is the perfect lamb and sacrifice and also represents a new kind of priesthood, a priesthood which lasts for eternity, right? In the order of Melchizedek is what scripture says, right? Both king and priest. And because he's in that order, his covenant supersedes the covenant that came, you know, uh, after, which is the law. Um, And so through that, the new covenant is believe Jesus and you have a relationship with God, right? Your relationship with God is, is uh, actualized by your belief in Christ. Whereas in the old covenant, your relationship with God or the Israel's collective relationship with God was actualized by obedience to the, the written letter, the commandments. And that's the, the down and dirty of it. Anything to add there, Chris? I mean, I, I think I'd have a slightly different take. Um, nothing Marquis said was incorrect, but I think that I would also emphasize that the beginning of the new covenant is in Ezekiel 36, right? And so we see that you will be uh, have your heart of stone taken out and a heart of flesh inserted. And so uh, we also see uh, in Deuteronomy 22, where God will write his law on your heart as part of the new covenant. Um, and so when we talk about the law of Christ, this is what we mean. Um, so just kind of adding to what Marquis said, um, you know, we are no longer uh, under the Mosaic covenant, which was a, uh, a covenant for Israel pertaining to the land and had conditions to it, but that salvation had always occurred under the Abrahamic covenant, and that is salvation by faith alone, Genesis fifteen six, And Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 4.2, and the entire book of Romans is a discussion of the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and the similarities between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So the entire book of Romans, well, at least the first 11 chapters of Romans, are a detailed discussion of this very question. Yep, what he said. And also, can we applaud Chris's Annunciation in the word Israel. <laughs> I didn't. I. Oh, okay. You All right, that's as Israel, good as like. I say Israel. I think Nate says Israel, but you 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 emphasize that S there. You were like Israel. I'm like, okay, okay, Chris. I'm really bad <laughs> at pronouncing Hebrew words, but I probably will be signing up for. I think I'm going to try Greek first. Um, in the spring. So we'll see how that goes. That's as good as I can do um, on my phone Photoshop. Uh, Roberto, did that answer your question? The third eye is epic. It's really good. I've got a fun question, Nate. Um, Who do you all feel like is the most overrated and underrated biblical person? Hmm. Oh, that is a good question. That is such a good question. I'm like scanning my brain right now. So who's overrated? 
Let's see. I mean, it would probably take some time to find the most over and under, but I mean, yeah, I think we can come up with some good examples pretty quick. It may take more time to dial in the most. Do you, who do you have in mind, CEO? While everyone else thinks about it, um, well, you've I'm already given go some thought. The most overrated as Malpizadek, just because so many people say he was Jesus. And if yeah, that's I agree with true, that. Then I would say that's a pretty big inflation. That's a good. That's a good one. Um, I'm going to go with Jonah for overrated because. People tend to think that like Jonah is this great prophet of God and that whole book is just satire. It is just it's it's literally just making fun of Jonah. Um you know and and his nonsense. And so I think that people want to imbue Jonah with this great faith and the entire book is making fun of Jonah that he has no faith. I mean like that's kind of the thing. So I mean he's go with making fun of like haha or yeah, dude had no faith. Like, do you like, see it as like, like yeah. a funny haha mockery, or just like, bro, he had no faith? I think it's mocking him. Yeah, I think it's satire. I think it's. I think that is one of the few biblical books that you can be like, yes, this is clearly satire. I mean, you have the cattle repenting. Like, I mean, I think it's satire, right? I mean, like, cattle don't repent, but in Jonah, the cattle repent. So, um, you know, I can't Jonah. Get there. I think it's. I think it's the common understanding of satire. Maybe I don't know. I have a hard, I have a hard, I have a really hard time reading that into it. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot of other evidences, but anyway. So, I mean, I, I think Joan is literally true. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not going to go like yeah. full, you know, higher literary criticism. And I think that's probably where Abba and I would depart on it. Um, but. You know, I th- I definitely think it's satire. I, I think I think actually Abba and I have talked about this before, and I think we agreed that it was definitely satire. But I could be incorrect. I don't want to speak for him. I don't know if he's still here, um, or if he is. It'd be great if he could talk. But yeah, well, yeah, um, but I, 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 yeah, I'd, I'd rather not get into a, you know, which book is. I I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway. So so I don't so, have yeah. I don't have a large intellectual hat today. Fair enough. Uh, we're, talk we're talking, you want to talk about weed, sheep, and pizza rolls. Um, let's see. Underrated. Underrated. I'm going to say... I'm going to say Zacchaeus. So... Short. Well, yeah, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Um, Is that all day under the sycamore tree? Does anybody else know that song besides me and Nate? Anyway. (laughs) Um, That's the mark of indoctrination. That is, man. That is, like, my son doesn't know that song, and it's very sad. So, like, like, my wife is working on, like, childhood biblical songs for him. Anyway, so. um, Stephen Curtis Chapman, full collection. Exactly. So. Yeah, I'd say Zacchaeus, because when you get to Luke 18 in the parable of the the um, tax collector and the uh, Pharisee, um, you Jesus draws this this uh, very famous comparison and talks about like which man left justified that day, the tax collector who, you know, declared that he was a sinner and that, you know, covered himself in sackcloth and ashes and repented Um you know, versus the, the haughty person who, you know, thanks God that he's not this 
dirty tax collector. Um, and I, and I think, and, and this is complete conjecture. Um, but I think that he has Zacchaeus in mind when he's teaching this parable. So that is 100% my opinion. I've never heard anybody teach that. Um, it's just that there's a very close parallel between tax collectors that Jesus knew them repenting and then him telling the story, um, of the parable. So anyway, I got, I have, I have an answer. It's, it's loaded, but I'm going to say the most overrated and the most underrated, right? Excuse the paradox here. It's going to be Job. I'm going to say Job, the most overrated and also the most underrated. And it's probably going to be in different demographics. I think a majority of Christians, which uh, I would, I think that they, they give Job probably too much credit. And I, I think that because most Christians don't read all of Job, they read like the first three chapters and then the last one where he gets everything back. And that's consequently because that's preach about Job. That's the body of pastors will, you know, kind of taking everything away. And then, Marquise, you're chopping up really bad. So the takeaway is read the, read the whole book of Job. That's the takeaway. Yeah, I've read the whole book of Job in a sitting a few times. No, you're still chopping. Nope. Up. Chrissy, thanks for joining the Discord server. I saw you popped in over there. Yeah, so my most my most underrated um, biblical person is um, Solomon, just because I don't think you can appreciate enough a man that had 700 wives and 600 concubines. The, the multitasking skills are just impeccable. <laughs> but he was also king, so it's like um, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, that that would probably be a little easier to deal with, right? Like he probably didn't have a whole lot of like you know contention or backtalk or I don't know stuff that um, other men would have to just deal with. Like you know the the guy that's in the scenario that's taken two days of our conversation, like to be like, oh, disrespectful. Oh, did did you want to keep breathing? Did uh, oh oh you do? Okay, I'll take three sandwiches, please. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm just imagine. I'd like to think I'd be a kind of benevolent king, but I mean, you know. Solomon also did pen, you know, the whole thing about a contentious wife and living in the corner of your rooftop of your house. So, well, yeah, or I know, right? So, a I mean, nagging wife is like a dripping faucet. Though they wouldn't have had faucets. I think that's just a King James thing that we can remember. Yeah. So I, I don't know, but I mean, I I can't imagine he put up with it like as much as the as much as the normal guy or. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe he didn't put up with it at all. But I mean, you know, when dealing with like 700 of them, um, maybe he just caught some stuff in the drift. So he's like, oh, my gosh, like I can't send, you know, I can't send like one person away to be like whipped and fog for backtalking me until, uh, you know, another one does it. So who knows? Maybe out of like 700 of them, he just like heard heard like nagging and stuff like in between. I, I don't know, man. Make me a king. Let's do see what really I think he'd, I'll take like, the challenge. Do you really think he'd send queens to be flogged? I seriously doubt it. Like, no, but on the other hand, I mean, it's probably like, you know, they probably like weren't like, Solomon, you need to go mow the grass today. Solomon, why aren't you doing this? Solomon, you never look at me how you used to whenever you were buying me for 700 head of cattle. Like, you know, there also probably wasn't a whole lot of that either. There's probably a little bit more minding your P's and Q's. Dang. But then again, you have the song of Solomon where he pursues his wife, his beloved. So... Well, yeah, I but mean, this is also not when he's a, a crusty king. This is when he's like a young stuff, like a, a you know, like a young like 
you know, Is a young lad. Muffin? Were you about to say stud muffin, Nate? Hold on. No, I was about to say like youthful, youthful something, and I forgot. What Nate, I, 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 I know how you can get a million views on YouTube now. If you were to do a reenactment of Solomon just the way you're doing right now, that would go viral. That's the episode you're going to sponsor, CEO. That's the episode I picked for you to sponsor. We would need, yeah, we would need like really bad costumes for Nate, and like, like Chris, really bad. Will and you then, all play? Will you all play? My my wives seven. Yeah. Oh yeah. I totally. Yeah. I wouldn't shave my beard and I would just throw a wig on and just be like, Solomon, you need to go mow the grass. I think people you need would to go do make it. me a pork belly sandwich. Or wait, not pork belly. That was bad. I couldn't have a pork belly not sandwich. Dude, come on. What are you talking about? But wait, he wasn't the most godly king anyway. So yeah, give him a. He was I want still a pork belly Jewish. Sandwich. He's not going to eat pork. Well, I mean, I don't know. Can't you mix and match like? like wrongs every now and then like maybe he did something really good and we're like just like you know pull, okay fine no pork um but um, he definitely ate shrimp what that's a joke he did not eat shrimp they didn't have bring me bring me bread woman and if there is any leaven in it this time it will be the last time how about that uh, this is this is getting it's getting weird it's getting weird pretty quick wait a minute not, you not you in track in... that was fine but now it's weird yeah were you in Greece with those sheep by any chance? Chris, I have to tell you that now I have a complete understanding of the uh, thermodynamics of the entire cosmos. Apparently you were with the sheep. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> now you, need, now you need to put that third eye on that, uh, the angry Nate, the black and white angry Nate picture. Put the third eye on it. I'm going to change my really title to Dr. Reverend Yogi Apostle Bishop. Oh yeah, I like that. This is not going to be a serious day. Is my like... signal still choppy? No, you're fine now, Apostle. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, hey, with the Job situation, I wanted to say um, that, you know, most people don't read it. They, like, preach about G Job losing everything and then getting everything back. They don't talk about, like, the discourse. And then they're like, oh, yeah, even the Bible says Job was a perfect man, but he, he lost all these different things. They don't take the time to parse out what perfect actually means in that context. You know, so I would say he's overrated. But then I'd say he's underrated because if you look at maybe the last five or six chapters of Job when God like appears out of the whirlwind or maybe the last three where God appears out of the whirlwind, the fact that he takes this like mega mondo chewing out from God out of a tornado of fire like this is worse than sharknado he takes <laughs> this chewing out from god for like two chapters and doesn't like like not only does he not like probably well it doesn't say whether or not he peed in his pants his his robe but at the very least he had the sense to say you know once i've spoken twice nope i'm not i'm not saying anything else and then after god is done he's like all right i'm sorry you're right i'm, I'm my bad i'm done it's like Does, the quickest repentance ever. Is there a translation that says he's perfect? Like all I remember is like he was a righteous man and like upright in his ways and stuff like that. Is there some translation that uses the word perfect? King James Version says he's a perfect man that fears God and eschews evil. Is there another translation? <laughs> <laughs> That's the one people preach from. You know that, Nate. Define people. All the good ones. No, I'm just playing. <laughs>
Well, Todd. Did you say my name? I did. Oh. Just trying to solicit some conversation from you. Oh, I got nothing. <laughs> Not right now. Marquise, would you like to talk about the uh, difference in the garment of salvation versus the robe of righteousness? That was a question someone brought up the other day. Or maybe I was just thinking of it. Thank you. I got nothing. I have, the, you said the garment? Garment of what? Garment of salvation versus robe of righteousness. That brings a verse. I know. I've, I've never heard of either one of those. You got a helmet of salvation? I got that. Um, no. Garment. Garment. So pull that scripture up. I don't, I've never heard of it. Well, there's not a scripture that says garment. Well, let me back up. Nathan, did they bring so, a scripture for that? It's something I've heard before. I've heard, I've heard a sermon on it. Um, I, I'm looking up the scripture now. I don't know the scripture. It looks like it may be in Isaiah. A uh, couple references in Isaiah. But, I, I mean, so the gist of it, at least the sermon I heard, and I think what this person was asking too, I mean, this is years ago I heard the sermon. Um, but it, it was some sort of biblical reference, which I'm trying to find the scripture, that talks about a garment of salvation and a robe of righteousness and um, this could have been wildly off context, but I mean, I think the idea was, you know, um, you can get saved smelling like smoke, right? Like <laughs> the church thing, like, you know, you can, you can get saved by believing right and putting your faith in Jesus while still having like, you know, not being the most like righteous upstanding citizen on earth. Uh, but there would be like an elevator, like garment of salvation, kind of like maybe akin to like people talking about like stars and crowns and stuff like that um, for, for like, you know, be, you'll be judged according to your works, like rewards and stuff like that. You will get like a, a nice shiny robe or like an elevated status more than just putting your faith in Christ. But it's like, you know, putting your faith in Christ and actually doing what he says, like, you know, doing the works he says you'll do and things like that. Anyway, that's the gist. I remember the only scriptures I can find about it. I mean, per chat GPT, it's a pretty good theologian. Uh, Isaiah 61, 10 and 13. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God. He hath clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Not sure if that's what they were talking about. Um, as a bridegroom adores uh, his... No, that's not the one. Um, Isaiah 61, 3? Probably not. To bestow them with a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil instead of mourning, garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Hmm. That first one sounds most aligned with, you know what you were saying but i wouldn't yeah based on the grammar and the syntax i wouldn't say those are like uh opposed to each other or separated i'd say that it's probably like two ways of yeah, saying one the, the same, same thing right <clears throat> um but the sentiment of like something you know you're getting something different or something more something better when you get to heaven because of the works i mean the bible talks about um like a crown you know you'll get a uh you'll receive a crown of glory um and that may be different than the the actual garment of, of, of white that you get to put on, you know, because you made it in. Uh, but those people who, you know, really uh, served God in, in, in the ways that he wanted and called and needed, you know, they're going to get, I guess, a crown with extra jewels and bling bling. So the only... Ooh! <clears throat> Yeah, go ahead, Todd. The, you know, the first thing that popped into my mind when you were talking about a robe and a garment being very similar things, but one re leads to righteousness, the other leads to salvation. The immediate verses in the Bible that came to mind was Romans 
where it says, for with the heart, a person believes leading to righteousness and with the mouth, he confesses leading to salvation. And so I always thought that this verse was like weird because, you know, belief in Christ should lead to your salvation, right? But it says it leads it to righteousness. It says salvation comes when you confess with your mouth. But so how is this? I was always like, wait a minute. <laughs> doesn't a doesn't a believer confess? Doesn't a believer believe and then they're saved? So, yeah, I don't know if that's any any contrast to what we're talking about. But, you know, a robe and a garment. I mean, a garment is like what you have underneath. A robe is what you show on the outside. So uh, if you yeah. believe, when you believe in your heart, you know, that's the garment that people don't see. But when you confess with your mouth, that's where people do see, you know, so I don't know. Maybe that's something. I mean, it, <clears throat> I, I mean, the imagery is fine. Like, the, I mean, the Im imagery sounds acceptable, even though I can't seem to find like, you know, a quick biblical backing for it. Strictly biblical. Um, without like, you know, taking some liberties. But I mean, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like a garment of salvation, and you know, it kind of goes with like the armor of God, where you're putting on more stuff, but then it's like, well, you know, it would kind of make sense. You have a garment and you have, or, or then you have your robe and then, you know, go ahead and throw a crown in there, by the way, because we act like a crown is, is literal more than figurative. Um, so it's like, sure, why not? But I mean, you know, as far as finding like a hard and fast scripture to directly support that without taking some liberties, Ah, you know, I, I thought it was going to be easier. Like I thought, I, I, I thought I was sure there was like something in the Bible about that, but I, I guess Isaiah is the closest we have. Uh, let's see, Roberto. Good questions. I have a possible self-defeating question. If God allowed you to choose to keep salvation and join a heretical group, <laughs> which would you choose? Okay. <clears throat> Much like, was it Marquise that said like, Oh, what do you say about Joe? It was like uh, over and under in the same person. Um, okay, so what we were talking about, about, you know, the, the what I'm going to say is not good, not godly alignments <clears throat> from our previous conversation. Like when you have a, you know, you have a Satanist, you have a Nazi, you have like, you know, the LGBTQPS umbrella, you have all these things aligned. Um, if I could join with them and like link arms with them and their agenda and still keep my salvation, that makes me want to scream and crawl off, like claw off my skin and run the other direction. No. Um, if you wanted to talk about, you know, fleshly desires, worldly Nate, um, and join like, I don't know, a weird, like, uh, alcoholic sex cult, um, that's a lot more tempting, but I like to think, you know, good, holy Nate would prevail trying to follow the ways of our master. And even if I could go indulge in the fleshly desires, I, I know that would not be good, uh, spiritually. So I, I know if I could keep my salvation in any case, I would like to travel the road I'm on, which is trying, yet failing, but trying to follow our Lord Jesus every day. There. If that doesn't get me a Sunday school award, nothing will. Hey, Tippy, what's up? What do you think about that? Do you have any thoughts? Oh, I would totally be BHI. <laughs> be what? BHI, the, the, the black, <clears throat> the black uh, Oh, BHI. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Because that I just don't fit there at all whatsoever <laughs> that, that is a very exclusive group that i will never fit into i am not part of that club so um yep that's that's what i would do <laughs> how about you roberto what what place would you uh 
get in where you fit in. Marquise, Todd, I don't know. That's a fun question. You know, I don't have an answer for you. I don't. Um, ooh. I'm going to say, look, where's Chris at? I'm going to say Calvinism. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> Chris, in a way, you can say that. Okay. Um, no, I, really, I really don't know. Um, that's, a, um, that's a tough one. Because some of them, they just seem like, okay, you're dead wrong, but you guys look like you have a lot of fun when you're doing whatever it is you're doing. I don't know. Roberto says either oneness or Catholic. Hmm. I don't know, man. Like, I, I mean, I wouldn't, there's just nothing about that that appeals to me. Like, yeah, there, there's just nothing, nothing that. It's, it's hard to answer because it's hard to answer because you're like going to be aligning yourself with something that just rubs you like the wrong way. It's like, like choosing to, uh, you know, choosing a food you're allergic to as your favorite food. That doesn't taste good. Like yeah, it's, it's not like chocolate. if you have a peanut allergy, but you could eat peanuts. Like I don't know, would would you? Just because I, I don't know. Well, Cass, welcome, Cass. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, I'm like a, I'm I'm totally intrigued by the uh, the garment idea that you had um, from being saved by being totally imperfect, and but. I think that challenges us as Christians. I think that um, you can do everything wrong and still get saved, and um, that's a that's a really good challenge. That's a that's something that's gonna uh, probably uh, it'll stay in the back of my mind here today. That um, we can be totally robed in sin. <laughs> and still get saved. That's like a strange, that's like strange, strange theory. But um, yeah, it's definitely in the Bible. It's just um, um, it's probably why other religions will question uh, Christianity because they'll say, "Oh, great, uh, you get you get to do everything wrong and you still get to be saved." So um, I literally yeah. just got that from one of my friends. Really? Yeah, I like one of my friends that um I've known since high school and he's like well you know it's it's universalism is what it is and it's not it's not biblical um it's a type of universalism i should say so he said oh well you know in christianity everybody is basically saved anyway and i was like i just told him i said you know when you if you want to be sincere and like we can have this conversation um that I'm available, you know, like you can, you can message me. Uh, he's not a Christian. He's, you know, he's seen all my, my Jesus posts <laughs> on Instagram. And, and so, um, but this is something that, that even Muslims accuse us of, right? Like that we can just continue on sinning. That's not true. It's not. And it's like the, the heart of the thing, right? Like they, that it's like, you know, if, if you're a Christian, you understand it, you get it. Um, but if you're not, it, it's like either because you have an agenda that you have to fulfill so you can't let yourself understand rightly, or you legitimately, I don't know, God has hidden it from you and you just don't understand rightly. But it's like, you know, so technically, yes, you, know, you can believe correctly. You can believe in Jesus, place your trust in him. And then in theory, you can go do every unimaginable evil and still be saved. But in practice, in actual reality, you won't do that. And that's like, it's not even a paradox. That's just like 
a, a pretty basic understanding. And, and I, I mean, either some people, I guess, legitimately cannot figure that out. But I think a lot more people just do it as an agenda. And they're like, see, you just said you could be a Christian and like, you know, kill people and eat babies. It's like, in theory, yes. In reality, no. Um, like, it would be easier just to say, no, you can never, never do that if you're a Christian. But that's not a proper understanding. I mean, it's the, the end result, the conclusion is exactly the same. You're not going to be a Christian and eat babies. You're not. Um, so the end result is the same, and it would be easier to just say, no, you can't do that. But that's like, that's like missing the heart of it. It's like you, you don't need a rule that forbids you from eating babies. You need a Jesus that says, hey, believe in me. I will save you. I will give you eternal life. Well, can I eat babies? There's no rule that says you can't. Do you want to? Well, no. Jesus didn't do that. I want to be like Jesus. Therefore, I'm not going to eat babies. So it's like you don't need like a list of do's and don'ts. You need to get it right in your heart, and that's what God looks at. Like God looks at the heart, so you align with God, and you, as a result, you don't need a list of do's and don'ts. You're naturally going to be led by the Holy Spirit into what you should do and what you should not do. Well, I think it's like... Oh, and now everyone listening to this is just going to be like, Nate says, like, go kill people and eat babies. <laughs> Stop trying to eat babies, Nate. That's what every non-Christian is going to hear. <laughs> So I think it's like this, right? If you, let's say, you know, mom and dad buy you a car, okay? And you you ding that car up pretty bad. You, you wreck it. And then, uh, and then you know, mom and dad are like, you know what? Um, this time I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get you a new car and you have to drive it safely. You know, you should drive it safely. Like this is a gift. You don't want to take advantage of it. Like you've already messed up pretty bad with the last one. Now you're getting a brand new one. You're going to take care of it. You're not going to take advantage of that. You're not going to be like, you know, it's fine. Like it's free. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and just, you know, wreck it again. Do you know what I mean? I, I do. Cass or anyone else? Yeah, I think it's, oh, it's, it's definitely the uh, uh, kind of what, what you said, Nate. It's, it's definitely uh, you have to make a decision now. It's uh, now I've been changed and people will see a difference in you. They'll say, wow, now you've been changed. Uh, but if you don't change, then you're just still doing the same um, nonsense. That, <laughs> like, but yeah, but sure, I go to church every Sunday or whatever. But um, but if you haven't actually been changed, then um, yeah, it's what, what's the point then? Yeah, yeah. And working as a thing, he's like, uh, look, it's irrelevant. And I agree. I don't know why we always go to the most like you know dour examples, like. Uh, you know, for, for atheists, it's like, you know, genocide, infanticide for Christians, I guess. I don't know. It's eating babies. So I don't know why I'm we always go to the most dour. Babies, okay. <laughs> yeah, for the record. Hilarious. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know why we always go to those dour examples. I mean, usually it's my fault because I put us there. But he's like, look, I don't want to eat babies. Hey, for the record, neither do I. I. I've never been like, hey, that looks like some good human veal. Never, never had that problem. Um, however, if your God commanded you to eat babies, you would be obligated to. So again, this is in theory, sure. In reality, that will never happen. We have a closed covenant, a closed book, a closed canon. So, you know, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So just like where, you know, God, uh, you know, people will be like, if God commands you to, you know, like kill people, then you have to do that. In theory, sure. In reality, that's never going to happen. So based on the Bible, if you think God is telling you to kill someone or do something, you know, in, in the Bible that's not in the Bible, that's not God telling you to do that. Uh, working. What's up, working? Welcome. 
Yeah, thanks for bringing me up. I'm, ironically enough, actually working. So. <laughs> so yeah, Suck feel free to jump in and speak if you can. All right. I was just actually just going to talk about uh real quick. Um, I'm not going to say that I know all the context of it, but I do remember a biblical story about eating your children. Yeah, uh, that was the... Yeah, that was in the Old Testament, and it was a, it was basically a time of famine. So this mother, and by the way, like God never condones this. This is like the Bible is chock full of like you know all kinds of like rape, murder, incest, and people think, well, because it's in the Bible, I guess your God is cool with it or commands it. That's just not the case. Anyway, so this is one such case. So it's this time of famine, uh, and these two moms are like, well, what are we going to do? And they make an agreement, and they're like, well, let's eat your kid today. And, uh, you know, then we'll eat your, uh, my kid tomorrow. And so, so the story goes, you know, they, they ate one kid and the next day the, the mom's like, no, get out of here and got rid of her kid. So he couldn't be eaten. And there was a big problem over that. And they like, you know, had, had a big scene about that. But again, that's just like two people making very ill advisable agreements that have nothing to do with God. Um, I would say even if the even if evil is justified in your belief system, that doesn't necessitate that you're going to do it. Right. There's a, you guys know that I do the Islam thing, right? So in the Quran, it, it, it literally says to humiliate the Christians and the Jews and, and, uh, you know, if they don't convert, then they face capital punishment or they have to, to pay a humiliation tax. Um, we don't see all Muslims doing this, right? They don't practice, uh, what Islam actually teaches, uh, but there is justification for that in their books, in their belief system. Whereas in Christianity, you're not going to find that justification. Well, I guess I'd push back a little bit on that and say that um, people have found right or wrong. I mean, being an atheist, that's not my call to make how the Bible should be interpreted. I'm just saying there has been people have been people who has interpreted it in such a way to commit horrible acts and being an atheist i don't believe that there's a right way being the word of god and such but i would say the bible isn't always so clear to where it can't be taken out of context to commit some of the most horrible things so the god belief i think is relevant in that sense that if you think your god is telling you this then you're going to follow it it, it, it can be used as justification that's all. Not saying all, I don't. You know, no Christian I know has ever eaten a baby. At least I sure hope not. Uh, but it just shows that you know our our morals are far more closely aligned than I think a lot of atheists and Christians seem to pretend when we get into these conversations. And for the reference, um, that was in Second Kings uh, six, is where that story is. Yeah. Um, and and for my reference, it's um, it's in the Quran chapter nine, verse twenty nine. And um, yeah, and unfortunately, you know, it's like, you know, people will say something like, you know, why, why isn't the Bible more clear? I mean, you can take, I mean, you can take anything, right? Like you can take anything and twist it. So, I mean, that's not a Bible, Bible's fault. That's like a people fault, right? Like I could say, hey, everyone do no harm and only do good. And people in this room could spend like three minutes and cleverly articulate that in a way where you can actually do harm and withhold good. Um, so, I mean, you, you know, people are going to do and justify and articulate um, whatever you want. So something that seemingly cannot be articulated to being bad, you can find a way to do that. 
Yeah. So you know, Lil Deer evil's actually, gonna evil. Lil Deer actually said something, um, and I say this a lot too, but she she pinpointed it. Um, we have descriptive and prescriptive in scripture, right? So we have stories that describe what happened at that time, and then we have what is prescribed to us as believers. Oh yeah, yeah, and I would agree that you know um, it's not a God problem because again, I I'm an atheist, so we agree for different reasons, of course. Um, I think I think it was Thomas Paine that said, uh, "Believe in a cruel God uh, makes a cruel man." I believe that's it. That's kind of just my point. That I think the goodness that comes out of the Bible is, since it's man-made, in my opinion, anyway, it's all going to be predicated on. Uh, these same ideas that I'm saying that that um, that your belief systems matter to your morality. So if you believe in a good God, I think it comes from within people with their self. Um, you're going to have good things coming out of the Bible. If you believe in a cruel, vengeful, wrathful God that you know wants to, you know. You know, kill the infidel, like in you know, you know, some of the Muslims would say, and again, not all. Um, then you're going to end up justifying that with the same method. Um, the method wouldn't change. It's just the the intent and the uh, outcome would definitely change quite a bit. Well, yeah, it's it's like the human heart, right? Like the you know, to help you out, it's like you know, the these the Bible, the same scriptures were used. Um, you know, around the same scriptures were used for justifying slavery as they were for ending it. So, you know, people use the Bible to justify slavery, and then they also use the Bible to say, no, this is why slavery should be abolished. Um, so people can do whatever. And, you know, the real point is the heart of the matter. We're, we're told over and over, like, you know, God looks at the heart. So if your heart is wicked, evil, selfish, greedy, all these things, that's how, like, how you see a Bible is how you're going to read a Bible. Like when people like read and they're just like, all they see in the Old Testament is, like, you know, because I mean, it's usually atheists who do this or Muslims. Um, so, you know, pick your theological bent. But, you know, if you're reading it from an atheist perspective, um, you know, they're like, OK, well, you say you lack a belief in a God or gods. But this concept that I'm reading, if this God were to exist, he would have to be evil because look at all the infanticide. Look at all the genocide. Look at all these irredeemable qualities versus, you know, the, the Christian. It's like, well, look, there is a time and a place. Uh, you know, what if you're doing this in the greater good? So it, it, however you see it is how you're going to read it. So the goal is to try to be as unbiased as possible and read it through the clearest lens you can possibly muster. So while everyone's, no one's going to be able to get rid of your bias completely. Um, and I don't think that's required. I think just do the best job you possibly can and be honest and sincere. And I think that will go a lot, uh, you know, a long way in fostering good conversations and helping people figure out what the intent of the author actually is. Yeah, I think that's kind of, um, uh, you know, as far as like reading into it, I think that's kind of, kind of, you know, kind of the point as far as like written on your heart. I think, you know, um, I'm well, as far as the outcome uh, I, or the greater good, I'm not a utilitarian, so I reject that idea for, for ethics. Um, I think it has its place in lawmaking, but it doesn't have a place in actual in actual each individual ethic. I'm a virtue ethicist personally, uh, but <clears throat> but but I would have to push back a bit on the God 
part um, because I think there are things in the Bible that uh, the, the God gets the pass on. This idea that God could do no wrong, so he was justified in flooding the earth, for example. Not that I want to get into a theological debate about it, but for me, that that makes it seem like that is against what we know to be moral. Wait, how, and how, and how, these kind of things um, how, are what are problematic. Uh, how, yeah, what standard of morality uh, are you using? Well, hang on, because I, 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 Nick, I don't know if you're cutting up a bit. We'll let you speak here in a minute, but it sounded like you may have been kind of chopping up. But um, I, I do agree with working like I don't want to get in a huge theological, like what moral framework is this? Um, we can see how far we go down this. But I and yeah, try talking again in a second, Nick, uh, to see if you're clear. But I would just say, you know, for that, the I believe that the quick answer, I mean, you said, you know, you weren't necessarily a greater good type person. Um, but take this for what you will. You know, what if one of these people or some of these tribes would have been allowed to live? And that would have interfered with, you know, Jesus showing up on earth, redeeming all, you know, potentially all 110 billion people, like whoever out of those wants to be redeemed and saved. If any of these people would have been allowed to live and fester. And, and you know, again, the narrative of the story isn't like these were all good people and God was being mean. The narrative of these stories is they are all like the most evil, like just committing atrocity upon atrocity. Like these are bad people. Um, so what if any of them would have been allowed to live and that would have interfered with the lineage of Jesus and prevented him from being born, then everyone ever existed is cannon fodder for hell. Like that would be rough. So, I mean, I would just say the quick answer is you have two things, which is a greater good argument. But the second one is you have to stop evil at some point. And while I don't really like the death penalty, because I think, you know, people can get it wrong and just like having a little chance that someone could be innocent. I, I just don't like the death penalty. But I mean, most people would say, well, you know, if it's as evil as the narrative says, these are all people that should have been executed because they can't be allowed to live in a society because they are that evil. Um, so that would be not the greater good. That would be individual judgment. Anyways, yeah, I mean, two uh, things, working class, you said that goes against by what we know to be moral. How do we know what is moral and what is immoral? Uh, well, that would be a meta a meta ethical question. Like I said, I take it as um, I take more of a naturalistic approach that we now it's not purely naturalistic. Um, a lot of it is based on development and, uh, you know, you know, for example, like the laws of logic, if you know that, you know, take that, for example, we know what that is because we, you know, we know this, the state of affairs in the world and the laws of logic are something we invented. No, it's it, to describe what is going on in, in that sense. Now, with morality, we are a certain type of creature, a social, a, a, a social creature. We could see forms of an early type of morality in in some animal species, even. Now, but, what now we have the ability to to, to to reason. We can develop these things. We say I, you know, when we're talking I, about morality. I have to go, guys. God bless you all. Um, Take care, Tibby. I think Nick's going to talk about the standard of morality, but I'm just going to drop down to the audience and listen. I, I got my routine. I got to do so. God bless you guys. Yeah, working class. Good talking to you next time. Yeah, good talking to me. Uh, you compared the laws of logic to morality. Now, math, you can see and observe that math or something like that is true. It's like logic. It is True, we, we discovered math. We didn't invent math. And the same with the laws of logic. We, we discovered that. We didn't invent it. But math and the laws of logic cannot give you moral oughts. Those are moral judgments. And that is completely different discovering those things, which can be proven. 
uh, we can see those. Are, we can see math is true. It's proven. But lo- some morality is a completely different sphere. Those are what you ought and ought not to do. And where do you get that from just your own reasoning from naturalism, naturalism, chemical in your worldview, if you're saying naturalism, we're just chemical reactions. Where do chemical reactions bouncing around your brain give you moral? You ought to do this and you ought not to do this. You're just chemicals. Well, well, actually, first, we were talking about um, uh, meta ethics, not normative ethics. Uh, meta ethics is what is good or bad, not what we ought to do or how we should fo- follow this. What we're what we're talking about then is, like I said, I'm a virtue ethicist personally, and these are things that that, that we develop. It's you know it's part of moral progress, the moral argument. Basically, I guess it would be um, uh, let's see the best way to put this. Um, Sorry, I'm trying to work at the same time here. That's a lot of presuppositions about what morality is to say that God was objectively wrong for what he did with the flood. Like you're having to work a lot. I can say pretty clearly God is a standard. Well, I'm not saying God was wrong because that would imply that, you know, there is a God. I'm not saying God is wrong. I'm saying what that action would be wrong. Would have been wrong. Whether if it was done by a human or or any other intelligent moral agent. See, now you could argue that God's not a moral agent, and then we can get into that kind of discussion. But then you're going to just destroy agency altogether. Doing that. No, no, no. A, a moral agent like a human is in a different category than the yeah. Creator. The but Creator, giver, giver of life. If He is the one who has given life, He has He can take yeah. life anytime He pleases. Like if He has given us all things, then He does not owe us anything. We are His debtor. So even if they would not have been uh, deserving of judgment, God doesn't have to give any of us life. Life is a gift. He can take the most righteous man's life in the world right now, and he would be not wrong in the least for doing that. It is his life. He gave it. He can take it away. That is not murder. That is the creator taking back what is rightfully his. It's his life. He gave it. He doesn't have to have a reason to take it away. This is something I disagree with that. I think just because you give something like, like a child, and of course you're going to then proceed with, you know, well, if I say I can't take the life of my child, you're just going to say, well, I didn't give my child Category. life. God granted us this child or whatever. And then we're going to get into that. That's these kind of circular arguments. No, no, no. Creation. I said that's a different category. Men are the creation. You are my equal. I cannot take your life unjustly. Even I can't do that. But the creator is yeah. a different kind. He is the ultimate giver and sustainer of life. And the, the, assumption, about- the assumption is that men are owed something from God, that God owes us life. He oh. doesn't. He doesn't owe us anything. No, I didn't say he, he owes us. But once we do exist, then then I would be owed the right to live. That doesn't mean any 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 agent of any kind gets to take it from me. We would consider it still... Uh, evil, maybe not in a moral sense. Evil, if like uh, I was mauled by a bear or something, that'd be like terrible. That'd be like, oh wow, this is this is awful. This is some kind of an evil existing in the world, causing suffering and all those things. I well, I don't uh, I, I I don't think any 
and that's why I'm vehemently against the death penalty because I don't think any has a right to take a life other than to save yours or your family's life. Well, and that comes back to our basis for morality. But I would ask you, just do an internal critique for a minute and assume my worldview is true. If if men are sinners and if God is holy, what is the proper judgment against that sin? If my worldview is true, like you would have to say that, yeah, judgment. God doesn't know anything, anyone, anything. He can judge people anytime. He could take life anytime. If my worldview is true. Now, your worldview, I would say you're using your subjective. Unfounded standard of morality to say, well, you can't take life. You can't do this. Well, says who? Like if naturalism is no. true, then we're just chemical reactions in a world no. that is purposeless. Why? Why does a human being in your worldview have more value than the roach I step on on the ground somewhere? Why does a human being have value? Well, see, what's the then again? We're gonna go back to moral agents. We have well. It, it sounds like, you, of, it sounds like, like we are more now. Now, can okay, no, I wait? But I'm sure there's a lot in there, so let me just get this real quick. <clears throat> um, it, you know, uh, it, basically, if you know, it, morality comes from uh, it's a direct reference to our interactions with each other and life in a shared environment. Uh, we can know it through development, through recognition and reason, reflection on the human condition. Uh, we find ourselves in a state of affairs that affect it. Uh, this is through critical analysis of various data that inform us of the correct and incorrect, good or bad. So I'm actually reading this from my own blog post, because like I said, I'm trying to work at the same time. Uh, actions that affect us are current, uh, in the, affect the current state of affairs in such a way that most conducive to human being, uh, to human flourishing, thus improving the overall human condition. Wait, what we call care about the overall moral remote. Why shouldn't I care about what just benefits me? Why should I care about you? Because that would be immoral. Because because see, I, because see, because you want to do an internal critique. Would your would your morality align with, let's say, uh, Aristotelian eudaimonia for well being? My morality has an objective. If it would, then God cannot be the type Wait. to. God cannot be the one to take our lives and wipe out. Okay, hang. On, let me jump. Let me jump here for a little. A little bit. You guys are both kind of like chopping up back and forth. We're, we're hearing everything, but it's a little difficult. But I would say, I mean, there's still so many places. And how unfortunate is it if you're wrong on any of these things? So what if we're on a simulation, right? Like, you know, the great mathematicians of our time posit that we may very well be a uh, simulation. How bad would that be if the whole point of the Bible is trust God, even if it seems like bad or evil to you or you don't understand it? I mean, I mean, not you, you, you say you don't believe God exists. But, I mean, you know, like people that even have a problem with this concept that if God exists, then he's totally evil. What if none of this is real and we're a simulation? So no matter how much it seems real and you're like, oh, my gosh, am I following an evil God? No, no. I trust God. I know his character. I know his quality. So even if it seems bad, I don't understand stuff. And then we get to the other side and it's like, oh, that was a dream. That was like a lucid dream as a simulation. Wow. I'm glad I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't call God a moral monster because I would have egg on my face. Like, I mean, that's just one like quick hypothesis that should get everyone to withhold judgment. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, I would say well, that. Would... Or what if like God even takes people out of this world, you know, to a better place? Like, you know, how, how about like, I don't know, like the people reported to go to heaven in, in the Bible, like, you know, um, uh, Elijah. 
right? Or or Enoch. It's like, do you think they have I have bones to pick with God? And they're like, God, it wasn't your right to take me out of this world and take me to a better place. How dare you? I mean, they're probably like, no, I'm glad to get out of this mess. Like, thank you. Um, so we don't know what happens. I mean, you know, Christians believe we know what happens, but I mean, you know, from your your own positation, I guess, like you would probably say you don't really know what happens when you die. Maybe you just expect to just lights out. Um, but you don't know that. So what if one of those things is, you know, for believers, it's a better place or the simulation thing. So I just think that should cause us to withhold a lot of judgment because in order to pronounce like moral monstrality on God, that means all of your premise have to be true. And there's no way to prove that. Uh, okay. Oh, no, so- I wouldn't say more monster about God. I, I, I would just say man-made and it shows all the fingerprints of being man-made. <laughs> uh, Cass, you were saying yeah, I was, um, I really, I wish, I wish that, um, you could have been in some of these rooms that I was in yesterday. Yesterday, uh, I spent the, almost like the entire day with, um, Egyptians. I'm like, I swear to good, I swear to goodness. Uh, we had so much fun and we were laughing and, um, uh, trying to identify like our beliefs and the differences in this here. But, um, but it, it reminds me of I, Isaiah 19 and 20, because if you, if you go back and you look at the chapters, it's, it's all about Egypt. Right. And so Nick, you're going to get a kick out of this one. So Isaiah 19, 16, uh, in that day, the Egyptians will be like women. Okay. All right. So, um, <laughs> so we'll just like, that's like, like, that's, uh, like Nate would say egg in your face. Um, I, I, I do believe that, uh, we can take specific examples, uh, in scripture and apply it to, um, life. We can also do the same thing and then say like morally, uh, we're, we're not doing the right thing or we're not, we're not doing the, you know, we can do all that too. But if I can take one specific example and show you exactly where I can prove it, then it's egg in your face. And, um, I, I believe that I don't have then to be right. I just have to be God as God as who is God. And now, uh, we have a totally different understanding of, um, living by example instead. Nate thoughts. Uh, Chris thoughts. <laughs> I didn't understand what she said. I, I was doing a little chatting behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I heard sorry. About it. What, Nate? Uh, go ahead, Chris. No, 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 you go ahead. You heard the part about what? Uh, the Egyptians. And then I and then I got stuck in the email. I'm sorry, Cass, do you want to recap that real fast? I, I was listening to the Egyptian part, and then I got stuck doing a text Sure. Message. So it was in Isaiah 19 and 20. Uh, the whole chapter is based on Egyptians. And uh, I think Nick um, said earlier about he was re- referring to men, but I said in this one here, if you go 1916, it says in that day, the Egyptians will be like women. Awesome. So, right. <laughs> right. So, uh, so there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in there, but, um, but uh, what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to like, here, here's what we, we get wrong on this. People will use the, the Bible and use it against you uh, for like scriptures. But here I can take an example and use it as proof for one example. And I think if we can start to, like to change that, we can start using scripture 
to use it as proof and use it for us, um, we might be able to totally change culture and um, how we um, were able to uh, live in a life today. Totally different. And real quick, uh, Chris, uh, thanks for recapping that, Cass. Um, today is the day all your dreams come true, your moderator. Um, could you please invite, I see Dee has her hand raised and also Michael and you know, pieces be upon Clubhouse is not letting me invite anyone. I'm here. Oh my gosh! It still shows me. It sh still shows you down there with your hand raised. Well, okay. Could you could you throw a D and invite too? She had her her hand raised. I don't know if that was an accident. I know I invited her earlier. I don't know what uh, what is the purpose of uh, Isaiah 1916. The the Egyptians will be like women. Did I did I miss something? Uh, perhaps, but I I wanted to ask Michael. Little change of topic, harkening back to the beginning. Why can't Canada stay out of the news, Michael? What is it we're talking about? Sorry, my like, my my work life has been so um, abjectly psychotic the last several days <laughs> that uh, I haven't been able to focus on pretty much anything. Is any of it due to people being perplexed as to why a Canadian Parliament would honor a literal Nazi? This is news to me. What are we talking about? Like, what what is this? apparently? Just come to us for all your political needs. Apparently, um, last week, right before the weekend, Canadian par Parliament was honoring like this great America, uh, this great. Uh, hang on, there's a lot of noise. This great. Got to mute, Michael. Uh, Canadian Parliament was honoring this great, amazing freedom fighter, who in World War II, he was 98 years old, and in World War II, he fought um, against the Russians because you know Russians are really, really bad. And then at some point over the weekend, it dawned to more and more people that if he fought against the Russians, the Russians fought against the Nazis. Oh, my gosh. This guy is actually a literal SS, like, what was it, the Waffen group or whatever, von something? He, he was a 98-year-old literal Nazi. And they honored him in Canadian Parliament and gave him two standing ovations. So is that not a thing in Canada? Is that like not, not a news? Oh, you're gonna make you're gonna make Michael defend Nazis now. It's gonna yeah. be a good time. Michael defend Nazis. Can't <laughs> ever do that. Um, that's where just. Sorry, I'm just quite literally running around like a chicken with my head cut off right now. Um, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I'll have to look that up. That's super weird. Um, I I I don't have there there is no fence. For something like that, I would uh, rail against that as um, as much as any other sane person would. I mean, it's almost like, I don't know, man. The stuff the Canadian government is doing is, is almost rivaling the incompetence slash evilness of your neighbors to the south. Which neighbors? Us. Yeah, there's lo <laughs> we have lots of southern neighbors. Um but uh, yeah, it's almost. Have you ever you ever heard of that show Veep? It's almost I've heard as of if it. like yeah, it's it's like basically, you know, like when Sarah Palin was a thing. Like they came out with this show with um, Julia Louise Dreyfus called Veep, and it was just like a bubble-headed moron that became vice president, and um, that was the the premise of the show. And so um, just all this wackiness ensues. I've never actually seen the show, but I understand the Nor the I. reference. And uh, seems like seems like our politicians are are conforming to satire more than real life most of the time. 
Oh my yeah. gosh, this is like the this is like Jonah. This is like going to be satire. So like 200 years from now, people will be like, did you read the history of America? And be like, no, that's not real history. That didn't happen. That was satire. Like no one is that dumb. Like, you, do you mean there's a leader of the free world who like doesn't know where he is? He poops in his pants. Like, no, this is not real history. This is satire. Like America was never really a country. That that is like Jonah. Oh my gosh, I think I've just convinced myself. Yeah, the movie uh, Idiocracy is starting to remind me. A lot of <laughs> politics all throughout my life. So. 100%. I'm waiting for, like, the cable news people to be, like, um, what was that guy? What was the pro wrestler's name? He was, like, this big, like, huge dude, and he was, like, the president of the United States, and he was, like, a pro wrestler. Zeus oh, yeah. Yeah, dude, yeah, I think it was... Uh, uh, <laughs> it was fantastic. Oh, Mike Judge is amazing. Jesse Ventura was a governor. Yeah. That's in real life, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's weird. I, um, I guess what prompted me to raise my hand this morning, other than the fact that I haven't chatted with you guys in a few days, um, is I, I was trying with my, like with my, my most profound uh, hat of charity on, and, and I couldn't make sense of what Cass was saying uh, in reference to the Isaiah thing. Um, but it, it could be also that I was missing the context of what the earlier part of the conversation was. Um, but it, yeah, I couldn't make, I couldn't make sense of it. There was some confusion around it. But, uh, D, what, oh. Well, so, but, but to clarify, I did say, I wish you guys could have been in the rooms that I was in yesterday because it was, um, it would have made true. more sense. So yeah, to, to clarify, I, that I makes kind perfect of sense. that. Yeah, that makes perfect uh, sense. D, you've Absolutely. been listening for a while. Did you want to comment on anything on Egyptians or Nazis or sheep eating lots of pot? Everything. I want to comment on everything. So I think what uh, the reason why Cass brought it up because you made a example of uh, of egg on the face because it's all a you know stimulation or something whatever. And then that's what she was bringing her example how it would be egg on the face if men were women for from a person. I guess the Egyptian standpoint. I guess that's that's what I got of that. Um, I was actually trying to come up with Nick and um, working was having a conversation. Um, I think the the circular the circular issue is they were arguing and not standing on the same premise and then having an argument from there or or the same foundation. Um, Nick is coming from a place of I believe that God exists which, I mean, this is elementary, but working was not even talking about if God exists. He was talking about it's man-made. So that's a whole different level of whether or not God exists or not. Because if you're coming from a, if God exists, then then it's a more of a fair playing field. But when you're saying he's man-made, then you're, you can't, we can't even be arguing the same thing. Um, so I, I, I saw that in that argument, but I was going to say to uh, working that um, you said that, you know, you're not for the death penalty, which I understand I am not for the death penalty either. Um, But when it comes to like these world wars, like World War II, you know, where the Nazis were evil, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I use that as equivalency to Noah. Those people were evil. They it, was, it talked about how evil those people were. So if America didn't participate in the extermination of Nazis, 
then what does that say about America? You know, so I guess the thing is, is that we all, if we're going to argue for from, um, a, if we're going to have an argument, I guess we have to be on the, like, there has to be a standard foundation where we can have the argument and not be somebody arguing about basketball and somebody arguing about football and who has the best team between basketball and football. Does that make sense? Well, I would agree. Um, to, yeah, and and I kind of didn't lay down the foundation properly for my argument, and I can admit that. I said I'm distracted, but that's you know no excuse. I I usually try to establish my foundation clearly first before I start getting into this. But as far as the death penalty, yeah, I I think there's different circumstances. Going to war against Nazism is to stamp out the the ideology of of Nazism. I think that that's why we don't just take war criminals and just and blatantly execute them in the streets. We we take them then after the war because during the war you're going to have casualties, you're going to have killing. That's not the same as executing prisoners in the streets. So I'm fine with you know, um, uh, you know, you know, using that example because I think war is a different uh, kind of kind of thing. Now as far as the death penalty, I'm fine with someone being unsafe to society and being locked away. And basically, the death penalty would kind of be, in a way, you'll never see the light of day because you are not safe for society. Um, actually, the killing of someone based on this is like a retaliation or punishment or something like that. I don't believe in at all. Um, <clears throat> but again, in, cer- in certain circumstances, someone breaking into my house, of course, I'm going to have the right to shoot them. Uh, my wife and I are both gun owners, so they're, they would <laughs> face swift justice anyway. But um, I, I don't I don't believe that uh, that a war would be you know equivalent and it's more Nazism is an ideology someone can be a Nazi but that doesn't mean you kill them what you do is you try to eliminate the 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 spread of the ideology in that in that sense so, so quick question um, I thought and maybe I and maybe my example is not a good example because I was under the impression that because the Nazis were committing genocide on the Jews, that's when America stepped in because the ideology was more so, it was just happening. And as they took over country after country after country, and they started like committing genocide against the people, that's why America stepped in. Because if they were just stepping in because it's like, oh, we don't like communism and Germany's taking over, then they would have stepped in at the beginning. So maybe I'm wrong. So that's why, that's why my foundation is when I'm having this comparison is that Nazis uh, were killing Jews, and then America stepped in to end the genocide. So with that being said, there were Nazis who probably didn't believe that Jews should be killed, but they were killed as well because they were a part of the pact. And I would compare that to Noah, Noah, who had um, and his family where there were evil people, and they were out killing, murdering, and doing horrible things. They were given a chance. They did not stop. So that here's God was at war with those people. So there are going to be people, whether that might be innocent, might just be in the circle of, you know, on that side, that will face the judgment. And that's what happened in the same sense. Yeah, for the record, I I mean, I think it was, was what, like Pearl Harbor that really solidified our commitment to World War II. Um, Beth, I wish they wouldn't have done that. But um, yeah, and and also yeah, yeah I wasn't the Jews. when we're when we're talking about um you know when we're talking about um Nazi ideology, how you could be a 2023 Nazi and and have their ideology yet not not actually harm anyone. 
Uh, no one means that. We're, we're talking about literally the Nazis who are like, you know, killing like, you know, thousands of people by the day and like dumping like 30,000 people in ravines, like, you know, actual Nazis who believe the ideology and complement their beliefs by murder and death. Those Nazis. That's what we're talking about. Right. So not, yeah. Not the actual. That like, yeah. The actual yeah, ones yeah, that like murdered. The actual stormtroopers kicking in doors and dragging people out yes. of the streets. Yeah. No, I, no, I got it. <laughs> Just so we're all on the same playing field. <laughs> um, not, wrong. I mean, America I'm, stepped up when Pearl Harbor was bombed. The U.S. did not go to war. Oh, yeah, I said that. I guess yeah. you said that after me, <clears> after <throat> me. not me and chat. Yeah, the U.S. was uh, 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 Great Britain tried to get us involved in the war way before that. And we just kept refusing. It wasn't until Japan uh, launched an attack on us. And, and in fact, uh, part of the reason we got into it was, of course, it's all political reasons. Um, but, you know, it's a good thing we did it stop the slaughter of the Jews. But um but that wasn't the reason Russia was, but the <laughs> but the Russia what Russia was supposed to split Poland with Nazi Germany and the Germans kind of stabbed them in the back. So <laughs> the Russians were our allies, but they weren't heroes here. It's just because they got screwed over in the deal. Yeah, you could be heroes for the wrong reasons or you can like you know you can yeah, be a hero exactly. without being a hero or like an anti hero. Like you can do you know, you can do good stuff for wrong reasons. So, I mean, you know, there's like what, like 22, like the, the more most casualties of anyone in the world was the Russians, right? It's like 22 million uh, died fighting, fighting the war, I think. Yeah. And that was it, after like what, after Hitler like turned, turned on Stalin and like tried to backstab him and <laughs> much yeah. like Japan and Pearl Harbor, it did <clears> not go the way they hoped it would. Yeah. I don't think Hitler was on board with us being attacked is he already had two wars. He was fighting on two different fronts. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like evil can't help itself. Like, if, like, goodness, we could all be speaking right. German right now if, if Hitler had not betrayed Stalin and they would have carried through and Japan would have not done what they did. Like, that could have led to America either abstaining completely or coming in much later. And, you know, Germany and, and a united Russia, like, goodness. But fortunately, oh, yeah. like, you know, evil, evil is greedy. Evil keeps pursuing. So he's like, oh, I see a bigger goal. I don't need the Russians. I can take over them and conquer them as well. So it's like they're yeah, always exactly. going to just keep going and going and going and until it bites them in the butt in the end. Thank goodness for us that that happened. And yeah. You know, and yeah, exactly. Um, Otherwise. It's not man-made because, you know, Israel, the Bible should have been about the Israelites taking over all of the country land because God said this is his country and his earth and we should have everything. But that is why it's not man-made because they weren't greedy. They just couldn't follow the rules. And that's, you know, that's the crazy thing. You have a Bible that talks about a group of people, which were Israelites, who were written for those people at that time, who did not tell a story about them being great. It told a story about all of their flaws, all of the reasons why they weren't great. Like, it would be different if it was someone who was not from their culture writing their story, unless that's what you think working. Because I don't know any history book that is about that particular uh, country or countrymen, and they write a story that makes them look bad because the book makes these people look terrible. <laughs> so that's why it being man-made is a little like, I don't know. I don't know well, about that. It, it makes more sense that it's about, it's a diary about what they dealt with compared to let me write a book about how we should control people because it wasn't good because nobody was being controlled. Everybody was living La Vida Loca and doing whatever the hell they wanted to. You know what I'm saying? 
Well, I have, of course, different theories on how religion was formed and stuff, and we could always, you know, you know, get into that at a different time. I'd be more than happy to come back and talk to everyone when I can focus more on it. Um, so, if anyone has any questions, of course, ask me. But I mean, um, so you know, are you taking my a position? Hegelian, are you taking a Hegelian approach? What, as far as, as far as the development the of religion, the I, development I would of religion. Say, yeah. I, so I, it no, develops would, from polytheism to monotheism, etc. Yeah, no, no, no. I wouldn't take it just as a straight, um, okay. straight hierarchy. More than that. I, I take it more of like you know, after reading like the evolution of God from Robert Wright, um, and uh, Pascal Boy, uh, Boyer in his book, uh, those kind of books is what I take it. I'm with as. you. I mean, it's, it is definitely not as clear cut. You know, Scott Atran has a good book. It's a not as clear cut as just you know, it goes from this to this. It's a modified Hegelian approach, though. It's right. totally there's so many moving parts in any society, and religion's a key component to that in early humanity. And I think there's a lot of things that get overlooked, and it gets kind of broken down to these small points that really don't capture what you know, what was going on. We may never know exactly what was going on anyway, but. Um, we have a pretty good idea, I think. But, well, I, but I don't know how you could. I I don't know. I mean, maybe you could get through like a like a meta view or something. But I I don't know. Just think of all the independent people that have little to no experience with like world religions or God. Like you know, they don't have TVs. They don't have like you know a great education. Like they just don't know any of this stuff. Um, and then you know they they have a I don't know a dream or a vision or like someone mentions the slightest thing about God to them or, you know, and then they like, you know, they do their own, they travel their own road and are led to a belief in a God. And while, you know, someone would be saying, well, you know, you're only thinking that because of this, or you're only thinking that because it came from polytheism to monotheism. And they're like, dude, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. Like I saw angels, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's not even someone like I as a Christian would agree with, because, you know, there are plenty of other people who are non-Christians that will still have some like, you know, view of a God. And they certainly didn't get it because, like, you know, that reason. Well, so, so what do you do with all those people? Well, I think a lot of it comes from – a lot of it seems to have started from animism and uh, and just ancestor worship from ancient tribes and stuff. And that's kind of laid a lot of the ground for these kind of beliefs to start coming about. And then religion started forming around these things. There's a lot of different social aspects of why religion takes hold. And a lot of it has to do with a lot of – uh, like evolutionary psychology has a lot to say about how these things take hold. Uh, you know, sociology shows a lot. Um, stuff like that. They, they're, they're, there's a lot of things that come about just based on how the human mind perceives reality. And the so, Richard, need- could you post some of those book titles that you mentioned in the chat? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. So, just yeah, just, um, yeah, just uh, give me a minute here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it'd be helpful. I'm a reader, so. I like so you guys know each stuff. other? I don't think I've met them before. You, you, you know no. everyone, Chris. You've talked to like everyone. You're on a first name basis with these people. I, I mean, I just well, looked at his like, profile and his profile. Well, it sounds like I should. You know. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> it's not magic. I'm not performing like you know. Well, magic well, tricks. Well, like. in, <laughs> well, in my little cartoon picture of myself there. Uh, we have like nine bookcases. So me, my wife and I are obsessed with books. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So yeah, man. I, yeah. So, so yeah, it sounds like a modified Hegelian take, um, you know, but it seems like it's fleshing it out a bit more. So that's interesting, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely, 
there's definitely um, counter arguments to that stuff, and it just depends on who you're gonna who you're gonna take. Oh yeah, I mean, and you know what? That's one of the beauties of philosophy for me is there's always counterpoints, and it kind of keeps your own beliefs in check a lot of the times. Um, and not a lot of people abuse philosophy, but I think there's a lot um, a lot to benefit from disagreements and working out people pointing out flaws in your own ideas. I'm being forced to read Every more argument. philosophy soon. I love philosophy so much. I know you do, Nate. Nate, I'm it's kidding, just I hate Nate, it. Very, very false, you're what, very false was witness. that sarcasm? Yes, Nate. it makes my brain bleed out of my ears. Like, I think it's useful yeah. for, like, uh, I, I, okay, so I don't know. I mean, can someone explain me? Like, it is useful for what it's useful for. How's that for a philosophical point? But I mean, you know, it, it is useful, <laughs> but I think people value it far more than the usefulness in, in, everyday life or even like one or two levels away from everyday life so you know like philosophical bents half full half empty like you know it, it, it is useful to a point but once you hit that limit which i guess for me i see that limit as a lot shorter than other people do so once it hits that limit there's like incredible diminishing returns on its usefulness and that's where people especially in like religious discussions like this it's like, you know, useful to a point. And then when people start like going into hard solipsism, which if you give them long enough to talk, it will always go there. Like I will make a prophecy. It will always go there. Um, if you give them long enough to talk. And it's like, oh, you're using philosophical about, terms. Right. I'm like a proud papa. Right? I know, right? I'm about to throw myself <laughs> in my alligator pond. And it's like, once they, once they get there, um, it's like, what is the point? It's like, we were started off talking about why you should believe in a God or the Christian God. And now you're like, don't even know if you exist. It's like, oh, just repent and believe the gospel. Like, eternal life, it's yours right now. Believe in Jesus. Done. <laughs> Let's go home. Well, you're kind of doing some philosophy right now. Yeah, ironically, Nate, it's, I, I hear more the people on the faithful side than end up taking it to solipsism. I, 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 I won't talk to someone like who, who even considers that because in my mind, it's like, it's like if, if, if you take the road of hard solipsism, like, I don't know why you bother getting out of bed in the morning. <laughs> um, it, like it's just it just seems useless to me. And the the, the, yeah. the best argument I ever heard against solipsism is, you know, it's like like and why I would say I I don't remember who who I heard say this, but I agree with it and it's funny. Um, I know that I'm not the only mind, and the and the way I know that is because if if this all was of my my design in my own head, I would be a lot richer and a lot better looking. <laughs> and. And so it, it just seems to me that it's just like it's not even worth the, the idea of that is not even worth uh, entertaining. I, well, I also think that it's interesting. And, and Nate, this is where I align with you a lot, is that is that I think I I identify and accept the utility of philosophy, especially when you're talking about things like like science and things like that, because it, like there's there's roots in philosophy for all those different types of things. What what kind of turns me off is when it's weaponized. That's what yeah. pisses me off. Yeah, and and like the big questions, like you know, um, do we exist or not? It, th those are ancient questions that m modern philosophy doesn't really deal with. It, that we we've moved past that for the most part. Um, now they're interesting thought experiments like solipsism, and they only do come up in these kind of discussions. But most like professional philosophers, you won't hear much of that from them because it because it's kind of a cop out in a way it's considered almost cheating um, you're not going to hear hard solipsism but you're you're definitely going to get you're definitely going to get some serious disagreements on epistemology 
And so, yeah, and and know, a metaphysics, of course. Sure, yeah, metaphysics, epistemology, those are the things that that really, you know, those battles are fought on. So if you take somebody like a Gavin Ortland or, um, you know, I hate to say even like a William Lane Craig, you know, what you see in a lot of their debates with atheists is it just gets down to metaphysics and epistemology, which is pretty much the same thing. I mean, it's just like, great, you know, we totally disagree on epistemology and metaphysics. We have no way to build a bridge debate yeah. over, you know, that's, that's the way most of those, <clears throat> those end up ending up. With. Yeah. Most of these things like where, you know, can you prove other minds exist or prove you're not a simulation and all that stuff? Like, you know, you're living in a matrix that it's mostly about, you know, I, you know, that, but I probably can't effectively communicate it to someone else unless they also share that kind of view. So, I mean, as far as, that goes. I don't think there's much use in arguing those things because, uh, you know, it, you you can't always articulate what what your experience of something is. So. Yeah, and and this is the kind of thing why Cornelius Van Til was pushing so hard at presuppositional apologetics. Uh, I know this is Michael's <laughs> favorite subject. Um, Presup, I have know. a lot of issues with. <laughs> yeah, course. yeah, obviously, yeah. <laughs> so most atheists who are into philosophy really hate precep. I think there were reasons for that, but I think there are different reasons than the atheist thinks. Um, but I think that, you know, Bonson and Van Til were really trying to get at, you know, what is this epistemological framework and can we nail that down to, to then get into the nitty gritty of the Christian God. And I think that part of that has been a success and part of that has been a failure historically. Well, we'll have to disagree a bit with Bonson. Um, Van Til, I can you know, I can kind of respect his view. I have no problem with philosophy touching on things that, you know, some other people might consider absurd or these deep questions. Bonson blatantly came out and said, Precept's purpose is to shut the mouth of the atheist. That's that to me, he uses a tactic. And I think he, and he differs from Vento on, on a couple of points. So it, I'm not a, I'm not a fan. I mean, like I said, I don't mind reading Vantil. Bonson to me seems more of a sophist than anything. Well, but, but that's Bonson's, just my opinion. But Bonson's point with that quote was was not to shut the mouth of the atheist and just never talk to them again. It was getting what I was it was getting at what I was saying is that we have to be able to base agree on epistemology and metaphysics before we can even have a discussion about the truth or the falsity of the Christian God. <clears throat> and what his in context, what that quote was saying was not just shut somebody down. It was, you know, we need to stop bickering about these base issues in the presuppositions, take the presuppositions as presuppositions, and then move on from there if we're going to have a fruitful discussion. That is what he meant. He meant shutting down some of those base level discussions and having a more fruitful discussion on some of the other issues. So it's not that he was just trying to use it as a tactic. I think that's unfair. Well, well, except I don't think he ever makes that step and offers any kind of courtesy to the to his interlocutors because he shuts it down in a sense that, you know, there's only one way we can do this and then pushes the atheist on the defensive to answer some of the toughest problems in just as we were talking that these things, you know, these are some of the hardest questions in philosophy that don't have satisfactory answers most of the time. And then it, it it's especially with how we see now with a lot of the internet uh, um, pre-sups is they'll 
use it just for that. Like, I don't know if anyone's familiar with like a Darth Dawkins or anyone like that. Sure, of course. Um, those those people use that and just as a tactic, be like, okay, well, here, it's because God said so. And now here's you. Now you explain it from totally different means. And then they set the framework up in only a way. So instead of having an, an open dialogue back and forth, they are rigid on this framework only, and they can't deviate from this hierarchical framework with the intelligence on top and working its way down. And intelligence can only be their god, but they're not arguing for their god, is what they'll always say, even though well, they are sure. their own presupposition. So but, but, I think but again, that's where it's, I think it's, it's on. I think now, it's, that might not be Bonson, but right. that's how it's being used in, sure. on the internet. And then people will use all kinds of things from all kinds of, I mean, let's look at what the, what the communists did. They were quoting Karl Marx as they were, you know, murdering their own people. We wouldn't say that Karl <clears> Marx <throat> is responsible for, you know, people who eventually claimed him, you know, as a, you know, a guiding star, um, you know, and, and blame, you know, Karl Marx for, you know, millions of people slaughtered in the name of communism. We, we don't, you know, so like we can't blame Bonson and Van Til for people that misuse presuppositionalism to just win points. Right. Well, I mean, people misuse the Bible. We don't blame God. <laughs> well, I sure don't. So. Right. So, so, so that's, but that's <laughs> for different reasons. Like if we, if we paint with a broad brush, like, you know, precepts, you know, do X, some precepts may do X. I've never heard Bonson in a debate, and I've listened to quite a few Bonson debates, just shut his opponent down to the point where they just can't have a dialogue. Like, if it were true that Bonson were only trying to shut the mouth of the atheist as a tactic, then he wouldn't have had interlocutors and debates. Like, they just would have ended before the debate began. Well, unless it just gets caught up in that, in, in that same loop over again and it doesn't go anywhere i've seen that happen a lot in both sides where they'll just blow up the whole argument the whole discussion altogether i see i'm 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 one for open dialogue i like to have discussions i can disagree with everyone else here but it doesn't mean that you know i'm not going to consider what you're saying i don't go in like that and i think too many people do um i think think pre-sup gives gives people the ability to to do that it kind of encourages it and it's well, to me from what i what the atheists like in in my what i what i see they they love these people that want to argue evidence and want to argue probability and want to argue maybe and that well this suggests this and all these different things but once you cut to the heart of their presuppositions and show them they have no basis for anything they're saying, they don't like that. You get to the heart of it. And I believe that's why they hate precept because it shows them you have no basis to judge any of this. You have no basis for morality. You have no basis for uh, even science itself is based on presuppositions. And once you cut to the heart of that, they, they have nothing else to say. So and they love to argue with evidentialists and the William Lane Craig's and all these people. But once you cut to the heart, it's like, well, that's no fun. The game over, you know? Well, it seems like you've drank the cola exactly what I was saying. That's exactly the point. And you go in and treat everything I say like that. And then we can't move on because you won't allow for any other. I won't allow framework to, to borrow from the Christian world. So it's not that Christian, so it's not that atheists don't like it because of, you know, because it's such a devastating argument. It's a, atheists don't like it because we 
we see and expose it most of the time as being a dishonest honest tactic. That's why a lot of philosophers, professional philosophers, don't consider it much. And a lot of professional Christian philosophers don't put much consideration into it as, as much anymore. It's not as it's not as problematic for professional philosophers as the internet uh precepts like to think. Like you know, like now you're saying I can't even speak without the presupposition of a of a God. And that's no. and, and to me that's just dishonest and it's just not productive to any kind of conversation. So why even bother if that's going to be your view? I'm wrong just be, even before I open my mouth. So <laughs> There are presuppositions, even when you're saying things about science, there are presuppositions about the laws of nature being universal, unchanging, always being the same. You don't have any basis to say the laws mm -hmm. of nature have never, you have yeah, no basis. I, yeah, I do. And I, I do. And now you, here comes the tactic when I have to basically justify the entire laws of logic, the entire laws of nature, the entire history of the universe, what was before the universe, all to answer your one little question. And that's dishonest, that you're just muddying. You just, you just putting all the whole conversation in this, just bringing down this mire of just, and just, you know, you know, I'm saying absurdity. You. And all, you, and then all you have to say is without God, without your God. I'm that's saying it. that's it. You and then you, and you dust the chalk off your hands, and then you go about your business, you know, claiming victory in some debate that you know that uh that didn't even happen because you wouldn't even let, let just, it Compare the, compare the worldviews. You said earlier when I asked you about morality, you went on for a while and you never really were able to give an answer. I can tell you, morality is based well, on either. the character. Wait, wait, I, I can tell you, here's my worldview. Here's my worldview. The, morality is based on the character and nature of God. The reason human beings have value is because they're made in the image of God. We're God's creatures. He created us for his glory. That's why we have value. That's why it's wrong to treat other humans wrong. That's why uh, our life is more valuable than a rodent or something we kill. Human life is made in the image of God. I have a basis. Now, you can disagree with my basis, but I have a basis for morality. I have a basis for human life and yeah. value. The basis for, for the laws, God upholds the universe in an orderly fashion. <clears throat> He's promised to sustain it that way. So I have a basis for science. Uh, my reasoning, God has given me my reason. I have a basis to trust my faculties because God has made them and he has made them reliable to whatever degree. <clears throat> you can disagree but with see, it. This is what I mean. Every topic we touch on is going to go back to your one point and your one. And you have set the framework up to this. So I have to adapt to every every conversation about morality or anything is, is ultimately going to go back to this one point. Every single time, doesn't matter what the topic is. I could be talking about washing my car, and it's going to go back to the same point. This is a dishonest tactic, and it's just a way to try to to put the atheist on the defensive without having to defend your position. Because if I question, how do you know this? You're just going to say God made it so, and never explaining anything. No. Because because then you're going to say, like I said, if I come up with any moral point, your escape hatch is the simple phrase of of uh of you don't have any grounding because you don't believe in god that's it and, and uh, game over as far as you're concerned and that's not how philosophical discussions work or like how do you know what you know we believe in revelational epistemology we believe that god has spoken and revealed things to us metaphysical realities that you in your physical state cannot tap into you cannot you cannot uh, know certain metaphysical truths about morality, about justice, and all these different things. You cannot know that 
and in a naturalistic worldview, you're just chemicals and motion. All, all you can say is you believe I don't know that. From your position, I don't know that. You're, you're already telling me I don't. No, so I, I can, you can't. So you can't say, yeah, you can prove it just by saying God did it. That th this is why that that old cliche, God did it. That settles it. That that is exactly what you're doing. You're using the old Kent Lamb break comfort type defense for a position that requires a lot more defense than what you're giving it credit for. Fundamental level in your worldview, what is a human being besides chemical reactions going off in their brain, nerves and that? What what is that? What 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 are your thoughts? What do you mean? What are my thoughts? So now I have to explain all all of science. I mean, no, I'm saying from when, all, when and all you get to say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to replace nature for God. There you go. In my worldview, it's nature. I don't have to explain the processes because you're not explaining anything else either. I can just replace it. I can make parody God. arguments of your argument by just replacing one word, and I'm going to say it as nature. Anytime God. you said because God, it's because nature. Except nature is mindless without intent. But you, exactly. that's I don't need, I, I don't need intent. So now all you so now you have to argue for intent and what that means for a a being that you consider a god. So now you're still having to defend your position. Yeah, I, I've told you my position is that God has spoken. He has revealed things to us in His Word. That is my position. That is okay. my basis. You can well, disagree with it. I have well, an objective. Nature and just is. It, it's a brute fact, just like God is. Even though precepts deny that it's a brute fact, but it is just a brute fact. It, it is, but it cannot give you moral oughts. It cannot tell me. Nature itself cannot sure tell it me can. what I ought. And sure can. Okay. Because, because we have them. Because it's part of nature. Okay. Tell me Tell me what I ought. Uh, okay. You say say that you say, I'm in your worldview, murder is wrong. I say it's mm -hmm. not. Prove me. What do you mean prove, prove wrong? Prove me wrong. I, I feel like in my nature, you know, my, my mind's telling me murder is okay. From your worldview, prove me wrong. Well, because it's not a part of my nature to, to, to murder. Your nature, but my nature. Prove me wrong. Not how you feel, but prove me wrong. Say I am object objectively hey, wrong for believing that. Hey, th hey, things can go wrong in nature. Just like your God existing, things can still go wrong. And people still do these things, right? But we're no I want to illustrate to Nick why this tactic will never work. Can I do that real quick? Thank you. Nick, this is not going to work because the answer to that, why someone who doesn't take their morals from God... They're going to say, well, because evolutionary, like evolutionarily, we can't murder or rape. It would get us removed from the group. So there's your moral framework. Okay. I'm not arguing for that. I'm trying to say, I don't hold to that. I well, Steph doesn't have to argue it any further. That's all she has to say. Right, doesn't have to be it. argued now any further. Done. Just like God okay, does. We don't no, no, no. murder. That's a standard. We don't murder because evolution wouldn't allow, like the, you can get a, you can get a I'm sorry. No, I wasn't really done. I'm sorry. I wasn't done. I've been listening for a long time. My, you can my absolutely do that. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, no, I'm saying they can no, say. Wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. Steph, we want to hear you. Um, But yeah, you're very, very choppy and very, very hard to hear. But yeah, go ahead. We hear you well enough. Just everyone else chill out and let her talk. Yeah. But for the record, she's been listening a long time. And I'm ready to like stab my ears out. So I mean, you know, this is the kind of stuff where Nate goes to die. Um, but Steph, please continue talking. But just know that you are very quiet, so speak up. Yeah, sorry. Can you hear me? I'm in. I'm using Bluetooth. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's really hard, Steph, okay. but we'll try. Okay. <laughs> You're not gonna get anywhere with.
the atheist with this line of questioning because a smart atheist is going to come back to you with responses that are equally satisfying to an audience listening. So I could make a compelling argument that humans don't murder each other without God because it wouldn't make sense in a society. It would make society crumble. Therefore, if the goal is to perpetuate human life as all outside of humanity, we see dogs trying to stay alive, animals try to stay alive. If humans are gonna to try to stay alive, then allowing murder in a society would not work. You don't need God to say that morality, uh, the morality of murder is, is this or that, right? You have to take a different approach with this. Nick, I'm not done. You have to take a different approach with this. If you're going to get down to the bottom of it with working about why he doesn't believe, you can't go they have plenty of responses for it. We now, lost you, Steph. What? We lost you. I still hear her. And and here's the thing: you're still assuming that the that the moral goal is human flourishing. You have to prove that. I don't think that is. I want to flourish myself. I want to do what like, makes me feel good. Yeah. I just want to Your goal is to please God. Yeah, I don't care about I don't care about the animal kingdom. I care about me. Why am I wrong? That's why your argument is failing, Nick. That's why your argument no. is failing is because you're not listening to what the atheist would say about this. But Steph, Steph argued the entire so so Nick, hold on. Steph, the entire break the entire thing breaks down though when you take industrialized wiping out of people groups. China is a thriving civilization. And yet they have instantiated massive human rights abuses throughout their society and their society continues to flourish. So the entire argument that there is an evolutionary reason against murder is nonsense. Well, we can discuss thrive. It's not. Yeah, there have been plenty of religious societies that have done horrible things See, to the people. So working is illustrating where this quite argument is going to go. You have to take a different tactic. You have to get to the bottom of why he doesn't believe. And a moral argument is not going to sway him. Because well, I, I can argue back against believe. the China thing. I know, I know why he doesn't believe. Jesus said, you know, when, when he gave the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, Lazarus says, send someone, you know, from the dead. And they said, they have uh, Moses, whatever, let them believe. let them believe that. And he says, no, but if someone rises from the dead, then they'll believe. And he says, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. So the problem is not enough. You know, it's not to show more evidence because no one's going to believe because of evidence. Yeah. They said even if someone rises from the dead, they're not going to believe. The problem and is they apply that universally to every to every nonbeliever. And 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 two, it's also a poor tactic to tell the your your opponent what they believe and what their position is. Well, I would I, never presume to tell any Christian that well, you believe what this other bad Christian believes, which is in your Bible. I'm willing well, to you know, take God it. Has as spoken, God has revealed nature to us. He has told us why people believe. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's why people don't believe. So it's not a question. Like just turn it around. That's why you're not going to argue because you so just. So at this point, Nick, what you're God. doing is you're just lobbing Bible verses at him and you're talking past him, and he is not going to. He's not going to respond to anything that you quote from the Bible. So then the question becomes: Are you teaching the audience, or are you trying to sway somebody? Right. 
So when you're engaging with somebody this way, you have to consider what the goal is. We could sit here all day and all the Christians in the room are going to agree with you and all of the atheists in the room are going to agree with working and you're both just going to lob things at each other that don't mean anything to the other person. So what is the actual goal of apologetics? Why engage in that kind of conversation? Well, I think it's showing that he has no basis for his framework. He is borrowing from the Christian world. It doesn't. It doesn't accomplish no, he has he, he in any way. Not objective. Let me, see, let me see if I can bridge this. Let me see if I can bridge this. Steph is concerned with Richard's soul. I think that what Nick and I have been talking about is that some of these arguments are valid. And I think that what Steph is getting at is more, not more of are the arguments valid, but are the arguments useful? And I think that that's where the disconnect is, right? So, so Steph's disconnect, Nick, is not that these things are not true. It's, and she's not arguing that. I think what she's arguing is that in this particular situation with Richard, these arguments are not effective. For Would the, that be a good summation, Steph? Well, yep. And, the and, is and, not and the it completely same. erases my ability to respond to any of the points he's bringing up, right. which I would have objections to quite a few. And he's depriving the conversation from progressing like a like a conversation should progress. And if he has this knockdown argument, he should be able to defend them away. Any other philosophical discussion is what for the record are, really, are these not also are, are these also not my same exact disputes with presup apologetics well it like started where did it extend yeah. i think steph is saying the same thing i am like what it know, started a, a, hold on nick i haven't talked to my own room in like 30 minutes because i've been dealing with this nonsense um it i've just never seen someone fall on their face before god and be like your presup has destroyed my worldview i will repent um i've never heard it oh, i've even know? heard some pretty yeah, I, i've you even heard, heard some, you've i've even heard i'm just gonna start moving people so I've even heard people present the presuppositional apologetics route eloquently. And I've been like, wow, that was really good. I admire that because I already believe it. So like no one needs to destroy my worldview and build me up again. Like as a Christian, the precept is easy. It's like, oh, so I need to believe that there's a God and that the Bible's, yeah, sure. I believe it. Yeah, it's great. But to take that to an atheist, I have never, ever, this is the most civil precept Christian versus atheist, I may have ever seen. Like, this is the most civil. <laughs> and it's a little tense and contentious, but it is the best example I may have ever seen. Usually it's screaming and yelling, and it ends with a Christian making a claim about something, and the atheist is like, yeah, why don't you just pray for me to go to hell? And the Christian praying on live TV for the atheist to burn in hell. That's usually where I, I, it ends up going. So I don't know if certain personalities are drawn to the pre-sub, but it's just not a good evangelical tool like i don't know working yeah. if you had a choice like you're not going to believe it anyway short of god like you know drawing you to him but i mean would you rather be stuck in a circular conversation like this or would it be more appealing if i just like throw some camel skin on my back eat bugs and say repent the end is near i mean you know if you got to pick yeah, one yeah this is not going to sway me at all like I, all i want to is, is 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 i'm not even just purely scientific based evidence i'm a philosophically minded person so i'm good for arguments all the ones compelling arguments to consider. This does none of that. This whole, you know, precept, you know, uh, the precept theatrics doesn't doesn't persuade people. It might confirm other believers, 
belief. It gives them some way to respond to atheists they might have had trouble with. But most atheists aren't going to be, your average atheist is not going to be, you know, philosophically educated enough to find the problems in pre-sub and combat it. They're just going to just, but, just they, they turn into shouting matches. They, just Richard, like you said, they break Richard. down. So, okay. The idea, again, this all or nothing approach, right? This binary that we're attempting to draw here, that precep is bad and never, ever works. Simply not true. Precep has been a valuable tool in the church for many, many years. Um, it has convinced many, I'm sorry, it has convinced many people to abandon their atheism. Um, and, you know, there's testimonies about that. Um you know, and, 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 but here's the thing is like, would it be a good approach with you? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, would it be a good approach with any other atheist? Maybe could be. Um, is it one tool that we have in our tool bag along with evidentialism and along with, um, classical, um, apologetics? Sure. I use all three. And so, I think that it depends on the situation. It depends on the person. If you wanted to go down the classical route and talk Aquinas and, you know, some of the reasons for the existence of God that he gives um, philosophically, we could do that. And I think that might be a more fruitful discussion with you because it gets into Aristotelian, um, you know, epistemology and metaphysics. And I think that, you know, that's something that you would have something to say on. Um, otherwise, yeah, I think we're just talking past each other, and I think that we're getting borderline close to condemning an entire um, strain of apologetics that is extremely useful in some cases. Well, two two points. Yeah, see, there, there are some things that there are some things in precept. Of course, there are some philosophical points. It's not unphilosophical to these points. I mean, Van Til come up with some interesting points, good thought experiments, good points that could even be very difficult to address. But that's not the point. First, people can believe things for wrong reasons. Just because someone's convinced of the precept, I would say, is a wrong reason because they don't have a better answer. Two, they don't know how to answer it. Two, you know, we can't even address the points precept is making because the tactic involved, like what Nate is doing, doesn't allow for it. You understand? That's what I'm saying. And that's what Steph, I, I, I believe, was saying. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Steph. Well, yep. let me. It's the tactic that, that, that won't allow those points to be addressed. And the point cannot just be, well, you can't justify everything. That that's that's not <laughs> that's not even a conversation. That's that's silly. There, 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 there has to be points that can be argued for back and forth.